Welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody. Welcome, everyone. It is our season nine finale. We had a baker's dozen, 13 episodes this season. We did. What a ride. Because <laughs> we can't count. <laughs> or work calendars, it turns out. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. We are back this week to finale out this season using the 1971 classic from King Floyd, Groove Me Baby. It's a good song, which directly relates to my story this week. And who do you have this week? Covering the trashy divorce of author Terry McMillan and her husband. Her groovy husband. Her groovy husband that was written about in fiction form Mm. in How Stella Got Her Groove Back. It took a little while, but Stella did get her groove, lost her groove, and found her groove again. Grooves have appeared at various points. This week, you're telling us about a groovy couple. I have a non-trashy divorce. I feel unqualified. No, it's uh, Anna Ferris and Chris Pratt, who are still great friends and co-parents. We always like it when that happens. We, It's better than... The lighter side of trashy divorces yes. to take us out of season nine. Before we get started with the episode, let's bring out our magic mirror with some love and thanks and praise for our new folks who joined us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces this week. Absolutely. Thank you so much to Constantia B., Kristen H, Dana B, Louisa C, Rebecca G, Amanda L, Shelly E, Copper K. Holy cats, thank you so much for joining us over there. We do have a new super supporter, a new trash candy connoisseur to shout out, April W. We can't wait to see you at the Sunday Zoom call. The Sala Zoom call, exactly, for our trash candy connoisseurs that happens every month today. So excited about that. And With that, are you feeling groovy? You got to groove me, baby. Let's go, go, go. Alicia, I know you've been wanting to get into this groove for a while. So long. I've been wanting to cover this story for a long time. It is one of my favorite trashy divorce arcs. Today, I have the trashy divorce of author Terry McMillan and Jonathan Plummer. This story, y'all, it's love, then it's deception and betrayal, then there's an Oprah appearance that goes badly, there are lawsuits, there are counter lawsuits, and then there's forgiveness. Okay, maybe not forgiveness, but letting it go and getting back to happy. It's a great trashy divorces arc. Would you say getting her groove back? No, she got her groove back and then she got back to happy. Let's talk about it. Terry McMillan, Mm -hmm. best-selling author of many classics, which have empowered women, given us reasons to laugh and to cry. She lives it all. She's writing about what she knows and making her experiences present in her work. It's all, it's very real. It's very relatable. There's humor and she uses humor as kind of a tool for hope. And there's romance and real feelings and real situations and highly recommended reading. If you'd like to lose yourself in a good book for a little while. Terry was born October 18th, 1951 in Port Huron, Michigan. She's the oldest daughter of working class parents, oldest of five. And Terry will say her mom is the one that makes her laugh the most because mama's always saying things. Terry's like, my mom wasn't two-faced. She would tell you those same things to your face, but my mom made me laugh. Terry goes to the University of California at Berkeley. She gets her BS in 1979. She gets her MFA at Columbia University in 1979. She's going to teach at University of Wyoming 
from 1987 to 1990. Her first novel, Mama, is released in 1987. It is about a black woman managing to raise five children alone after she forces her drunken husband to leave. Is this based loosely on her own story or is it separate? Everything she writes absolutely is. Then leave up. Perfect. Terry does write what she knows. But here's the thing. She'll get her first book published. Woo! She should be out on an author's tour. Sure. Giant accomplishment, yeah. Like every other author who published a book this year for the company, she's saying goodbye to all kinds of white authors (sighs) who were headed out on their book tours. Eh, Interesting. But Terry's not going on her book tour. Like even in the 80s? Even in the 80s. The company does not fund her going out on a book tour. So little Miss Terry is going to do it herself. She funds her own book tour, visiting historically black colleges and universities and black owned bookshops, every one of them. And it takes no time at all. But Terry McMillan's name becomes a staple in black communities. The publishing world is shocked. Right. Astonished that black people read fiction. What? Terry McMillan is popular? Audiences that are not white? She just, Terry McMillan makes her own seat at the table. Good for her. And I appreciate that. Good Lord. Disappearing Acts is released in 1989. This is from the (laughs) Amazon page about the book. I I do love book descriptions sometimes. (laughs) He was tall. Dark as bittersweet chocolate and impossibly gorgeous, with a woman-melting smile. She was pretty and independent, petite and not too skinny, just his type. Franklin Swift was a sometimes-employed construction worker, and a not-quite-divorced daddy of two. Zora Banks was a teacher, singer, songwriter. They met in a Brooklyn brownstone, and there could be no walking away. In this funny, gritty, urban love story, Franklin and Zora join the ranks of fiction's most compelling couples as they move from scrabble to sex, from layoffs to the limits of faith and trust. Disappearing Acts is about the mystery of desire and the burdens of the past. It's about respect, what it can, and what it can't survive. And it's about the safe and secret places that only love can find. Scintillating, right? Based on a true story? (laughs) She's selling the book. Disappearing Acts is going to get made into a movie. Wesley Snipes is in it. Hmm. The next book, what's she going to write this time? Well, after Disappearing Acts, Terry moves out west. She begins teaching at University of Arizona. And the next novel that follows is Waiting to Exhale, which will provide the story of four black middle-class women looking for love from a worthy man. And this book really takes off. The four friends in the book, it focuses on their relationships with each other and the men in their lives. And the point is sort of, um, all of them are holding their breath. They're waiting to exhale until they are comfortable in a committed relationship. It's a good book. Made into a movie with some true legends, including Whitney Houston, Trashy Divorces alum, and the goddess that is known as Angela Bassett. But this is not a book or a movie podcast, so I promise I'm getting to the trashy divorces part of this story. But as it goes, there is a wonderful quote in the book, Waiting to Exhale, that I think listeners of Trashy Divorces will appreciate. This is said by Robin in the book, Waiting to Exhale. I have always fantasized about what life would be like when I got married and had kids. I imagined it would be beautiful. I imagined it would be just like it was in the movies. We would fall hopelessly in love 
and our wedding picture would get in Jet Magazine. We would have a house full of kids because I hated being an only child. I would be a model mother. We would have an occasional fight, but we'd always make up. And instead of drying up, our love would grow. We would be 100% faithful to each other. People would envy us, wish they had what we had, and they'd ask us 40 years later how we managed to beat all the odds and still be so happy. I was this stupid for a long time. I love that line. It's so good. (laughs) Waiting to Exhale is wildly popular, right? And with the release of Waiting to Exhale, Terry McMillan is going to land a $6 million publishing deal for her fourth novel. Now, this is where it gets juicy. Time to get our groove back. The thing to know is that Waiting to Exhale, the film, got released in 1995. So Terry McMillan, with a little cash in her pocket, along with a very ripe, juicy publishing deal, where she has flipped the script a little. Hey, remember when I funded my own book tour? Right, right. Terry's going to take a little vacay, a little time off, relax, recharge, goes down to Jamaica in 1995. Sure. Terry's 43, independent, having a ball on her tropical vacation, enjoying a well-deserved break, a little fun in the sun. Some cocktails with umbrellas. Gonna be a great vacation. And then, enter into the frame. A young, he's 20, (laughs) handsome, charming Jamaican man. His name is Jonathan Plummer. Their eyes meet across the room over breakfast. He asks to come sit. She says, come over. They meet. There's chemistry over muffins. But Terry's thinking, I'm old enough to be your mother. Right. But Terry's also thinking like, hey, I haven't had sex in a long time. And this man is beautiful. And I am somewhere entirely different by myself. Who would ever know? Or care, for that matter. Or care. Well, people cared then. We're going to talk about it in a second. Hmm. So Terry's really worried about, like, I'm old enough to be your mother. And she says that to Jonathan. And Jonathan says... But you're not my mother. (laughs) Terry will follow up and say, would you like to sleep with me? Facts is facts. And Jonathan says yes. So I'm guessing it went okay. Because (laughs) this is how fast romance can happen. Uh, Terry McMillan says, I saw him as a work of art. She'll return to California after the vacation. Three months later, Jonathan's moving to California and into her multi-million dollar home. The love affair is on. Now, Writing what she knows, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, is going to be released in 1996. It is about Stella going to a tropical island and falling in love with a young cook while vacationing in Jamaica. Who could have seen this romantic lay coming? Based on a true story? <laughs> well, the book was finished by the time he arrives in California. Like, the novel is total fantasy. How Stella Got Your Groove Back was... Almost herself writing her permission slip because men do this all the time. And people are like, oh, you're falling in, you know, you're dating your daughter. She's writing this almost as a defense of older woman, younger man. Uh, This is a quote. uh, Nobody talked about it back then. At the time for women dating a younger man felt like a dirty secret. Like she's breaking taboos with this. How Stella got her groove back. Sells a million copies. That's its first printing, anyway, in its first printing, a million copies. That's amazing. Not bad. Gotta say. Okay, so there's a movie for this one, too, in 1998. 
which is the same year that a 47-year-old Terry and the 24-year-old Jonathan get up and hitched. And everything is great. It is terrific for a long time. Terry says it was blissful. It was a wonderful marriage. They're having regular sex. Things were great. Like, I couldn't drive in the car without him holding my hands. He brushed my hair, massaged me, all kinds of wonderful things. And then there's one day that Jonathan comes to Terry and says, I think we need to talk. And hmm. Jonathan says, uh, you know, I am confused about my sexuality. I think I might be gay. And Terry McMillan has a very heavy lamp and she tells him she would like to bash his face in wow. with that lamp. Well, that's not quite the... Well, and he will stand up and say, you know what? I- I'm not really confused. I am gay. Wow. I haven't done anything yet, but I'm gay. Yeah, I mean, I guess if the soft way I'm confused and think I might be results and I would like to smash your face, face in, in, you may as well lamp. just may as well just pull off that band-aid. He does not get his face smashed in, does he? No, he does not. Thank God. No, he does not. But Terry, for her part, mm-hmm. says she's blindsided. Like, we were blissfully happy. Everything was great. And it's a brave thing Jonathan does. Like, absolutely, if you are struggling with aspects of your sexuality and you are in a committed relationship it's a hard conversation for sure for sure it is difficult coming out is tough but it is tougher for a woman who's had to go through all of that here's my permission slip to even do this and now you deceive me in this way things are complicated brave thing jonathan does terry's not doing so great right certainly with handling the news certainly marriage ending In 2005, they file for divorce. Now, there is a prenup in place, which should make things easy peasy. But if you're listening to trashy divorces, (laughs) (laughs) we have all seen breakups that should be easy peasy that are not easy. Because Jonathan will sue Terry anyway, regardless of the prenup, looking for... Looking for what? Spousal support and attorney fees. And he will win. California. Yeah. Yeah. Which just gets Terry mad. I'm sure. Right? Oh, man, you've broken her heart and you want her to pay for your lawyer. Dude. Well, no, the, definitely the thing naturally that you absolutely want to do when your head and your heart and your soul are all burning with the fire of a thousand suns for a man who promised to love you forever is to go on the Oprah show. Oh, no. With him. Wow. Terry says that she goes on the show to bring more attention to the kind of harm that living a double life can cause. It caused me a great deal of harm. I would like to warn all of Oprah's listeners about this double life thing and also tell you about my soon-to-be ex-husband, the asshole. Okay. (laughs) That's not quite the... Oh, God. So Oprah Winfrey first talks to Terry Hmm. and she's mad. Like it is betrayal. It's deception. Uh, She'd never been with a man who was cheating. And Oprah's like, was he cheating? And Terry's like, he said he wasn't, but come on. Like he would tell the truth. I'm gay. That's like saying you're an alcoholic, but you've never had a drink in your life. Like, how do you know you're gay? And Oprah's like, most people that I've talked to are gay, like, know from the time they're three or they're seven or they're very young or they have an inclination. Oh, gosh. It is trashy, y'all. It's trashy. 
It sounds... Oh, no. She, uh, Terry McMillan, just her body language, her eye rolls, she's furious. Sure, so. yeah. I Like, I, I, I certainly will not tell Terry McMillan how to live her well-lived life, but... Yeah, working stuff out on Oprah is maybe not the greatest. No, but it, 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 it comes around full circle. There's an arc. You're going to love it. Okay, so the Oprah and Terry part happens, and then Jonathan comes out. And he's like, I wasn't lying. I, I didn't cheat on you. Oh, God, Terry's mad. She's apoplectic. She's so mad. And this is where I think Terry gets maligned a bit. Because in this interview, there's a, a perception that's being made out that Terry is a homophobe, that she doesn't like gay people, that she hates gay people. And Terry is like, nope, that's not it. I'm not a homophobe. I have a lot of gay and lesbian friends. That was not the problem. The problem was you you deceived me. You lied to me about the things. I don't care that you're gay. I care about the way you hurt me. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm just going to say again that if you're if you're working your stuff out, maybe don't do it on Oprah. Well, she does it on Oprah. Mm-hmm. And this makes her so mad in the backlash about her being a homophobe because she's like, I, no. I, yeah, I, I, I can also understand how the audience may have it's, arrived at the conclusion. It's a complicated situation. Mm-hmm. Terry's mad. She got her heart broken. Don't go on Oprah until you've kind of let that scab over. Well, the next thing she does is countersues Jonathan for $40 million. What's he worth? Nothing. <laughs> uh, she sues him for emotional distress and loss of reputation. Yikes. Now, Terry will win a judgment for intentional infliction of emotional distress, but she withdraws the suit before the case goes to trial. Jonathan's not ordered. She's like, he doesn't have any money. It wasn't about the money. It was about my anger and my pain at him, my anger at myself. And it eats her every day, just yeah. with the fire of a thousand suns for yeah. like three years, a long, long time. That's tough. She doesn't hate him because he's gay. She hates him for the betrayal. Because he broke her heart. But the hate is taking charge of her life with the suit and the countersuit. And like, who can sustain that kind of hate on a long-term basis? It is just not healthy, friends. It's just not healthy. So five years later... What happens? Oprah's last season, they both go back on Oprah. Really? But something has shifted. Okay, Oprah's final season, and they both come back on to talk about the healing and the letting go, especially on Terry's part. Her energy has shifted. Her nonverbals are different, and she does talk about it. She's like, I wish I hadn't been compelled to sue him. The anger wore me out, and I wanted to hate his guts until I died, and I thought the more I hated him, the more that he would suffer. But that's not how it works. <laughs> Her private life became a public circus. She withdrew the suit because she was tired of feeling all that outrage. She says anger and bitterness. It's an emotional termite. You realize that it's your happiness and your joy that you're sabotaging. And the other person has nothing to do with it. Jonathan, for his part, says a huge burden was lifted when Terry dropped the lawsuit. He says it was hard enough to go through this litigation with her. I, I'm truly sorry about the way things ended. And he does admit they had a long way to go after that 2005 interview. He says 
now a much better person. I've grown a lot through this whole experience. I try to be a better friend to my family, my friends. And if I ever have a boyfriend or a partner, I'd be a better person to them. He's much more comfortable in his own skin. He continues, I came from a culture where you suppress your feelings and you're not open to seeing different orientations, different sexualities. Now I'm embracing my sexual honesty and truth. They're in a much better place. Jonathan will say she accepts me for who I am. We're not best friends, but we're friends. Oh, that's good. I that I wouldn't have expected that. No, it's so nice. She's got, hold on, I got the nicest quotes about him from her coming up. So the divorce behind her, she will write another book called Getting to Happy, right? Which is the Waiting to Exhale sequel inspired by the breakup with Jonathan. And Terry will say, I realize there are a lot of women out here in America who are 40 and upward who have experienced betrayal and deception as well. I was more concerned about the women who are in my age group who allow this kind of devastation to just ruin their present. Still likes men. One bad apple doesn't spoil the whole bunch. And this is very recently in an interview with HuffPost Live's Nancy Red. Terry says that peace came after realizing that Jonathan is a different person now than when they wed. I spent almost 10 years with a guy. I loved him. I still love him. But I love the man I married, not the one I divorced. I don't hate him because he's gay. We're good friends now. We have been for quite a few years. But the bottom line is he made me feel beautiful. He loved me. And the yardstick that I would use for other men would have to be held up to him. So it seems like these two have really come around the bend and full circle with some excellent lessons for all of us on how to handle or perhaps not handle <laughs> your own trashy divorce. Like anger's easy, but that anger can consume you. And that's just not healthy for anyone. Yeah, don't go on Oprah mad. No. You got to go on Oprah once those fires have cooled. Well, I mean, they're good friends now. He mm -hmm. will text her when he hears a song on the radio that reminds him of her. He still calls her my love. For Terry's part, she's like, I broke the rules and I'm glad. All I was going to do was milk it until that milk was dry. That's a terrible analogy, but <laughs> we were good for eight years and then he started boring me to death. But I'm grateful for having loved him. Hmm. I loved him and he loves me. I love the man that I met. Now I just like the man that he is. And I guess that's where you hope to get to at the end of your trashy divorce road, my friends. For trash cans, I'm going to go more like cars on fire here. I'm going to mix metaphors and movie scenes. Um, but this was fairly terrible. Flaming cars for the divorce part, but halos for coming back to yourself in the forgiveness part and not letting the past define your present. Just no way to live. Like wherever you go, there you are. Get good with yourself. Surf the wave you're on. Don't that hold on to hate. Seems like valuable advice. God, I just, I love that trashy because you did not think watching them in 2005 on Oprah that the end result would have been quite this nice. Yeah, like a years long friendship. Yeah, no. So there's your trashy divorce. All right. Had a little cleanup. On aisle, let's call him the hate down in my soul. Thanks, Oprah. Sure. Stella got her groove back, lost it, got it back again. Got back to happy. It's all good. Still writing, doing great. Mm -hmm. Terry McMillan, kind of a badass. And an example for how to do your own trashy divorce, I guess. 
Gotta say, super disappointed to learn that the publishing industry, even into the 1980s, was just a bunch of bullshit. Well, there's even something called the Macmillan Effect. She actually got a lot of other black authors noticed and on the map because the publishing world was just like, whoa, there's, there's a an audience. For oh my God. This. Yeah. Anyway. Oh my God. That is some trashy book selling yep. and trashy divorcing. Let's take a quick break. Let's take a break and be back with something. Something less trashy than that, to be honest. See you on the flip, y'all. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So, Stacy, you have a more current trashy divorce this week? Yeah, and kind of a friendlier one, too. Certainly friendlier than, than yours. It didn't ha- you, they didn't have to go on Oprah? They did not go on Oprah to trash each other, or really, they just don't seem to trash each other. It's, uh, I mean, it's really a disappointing story for trashy divorces. But here we go. As we know, Hollywood is kind of a meat grinder when it comes to marriages, but when you add in a role reversal dynamic where one spouse suddenly eclipses the other professionally, you might as well get your fork drawer ready. No, oh, no. Warm up the forks. Okay. That seems to be the story of what happened with actor, writer, and podcaster Anna Ferris. It's spelled Anna. Her parents, I guess, just were like, we're going to saddle you with a thing that you're going to have to say over and over again for as long as you live. It's Anna. It's Anna. Anna Ferris and Guardian of the Galaxy, Star-Lord himself, actor Chris Pratt. Their eight-year-long marriage crashed on the rocks of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 2017. Marvel claims another victim. Seriously. Happily, both of them seem to have also put real time and energy into putting their son Jack at the forefront of their post-married lives and appear to have a strong co-parenting relationship, so... That's like, great. Yeah, Anna even attended Chris's second wedding to Katherine Schwarzenegger, daughter of TD alum and definitely bad with women guy Arnold Schwarzenegger. Alicia would argue that it's bad luck to attend your ex's wedding, but it doesn't appear to have caused any mayhem so far. Good for them. Let's get these two talented kids together and then take a look at the status flip that's led to everything from the Real Housewives curse to Cher kicking Sonny to the curb all those decades ago. Anna Ferris is the daughter of two educators and was born in Baltimore on November 29th, 1976. She's a Sag, uh-huh. and that was a great year for babies, friends. And she's <laughs> she's one of two, the younger sister of a big brother. Terrific setup, if I do say so. Her brother has gone on to also be an educator. The family relocated to the Seattle area, where her parents were originally from when she was six. 
And she says that she was raised in a home that, like, while religion wasn't really a piece of it, was pretty traditional and conservative values-wise. Pretty, pretty well-grounded. Her parents enrolled her in a community kids drama class when she was six after noticing her zeal for organizing productions with her neighborhood friends in her bedroom. And it begins. And it begins. When she was nine, she landed a three-month run in an Arthur Miller play at the Seattle Repertory Company that paid the princely sum of $250. Whoa. Anna. To a kid? Anna had arrived. That's a fortune. Yeah, she she says she felt like she was rolling in dough. It was like, it's awesome. Anyway, it was plenty uh, enough encouragement to, to keep her going in the acting thing. So she played all the roles that you would expect. She was Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. She was Heidi in Heidi. She was Our Town. In, no, she was Rebecca in Our Town. <laughs> and by high school, she was pretty consistently doing plays, doing radio work, even landing some commercials. I guess she was notably a Froyo girl. She did a Red Robin training video. That's great. Great. I think at this point, acting was mostly just a pocket money endeavor. And in college, she studied English lit with an eye to becoming a writer. Parenthetically, Anna has fulfilled this ambition as well with the 2017 memoir, Unqualified, which is also the name of her podcast that's been out since 2015. It's consistently a top rated podcast. Anyway, her breakout role was in 2000's Scary Movie. I remember these. I I have not seen these, but I also wasn't into the scream and uh, what is it? I know what you did last summer, which is what it was a parody of. Sure. They and all sort of blend. They all sort of blend. This was a really, like all three of these franchises did really well, but Scary Movie did too. Didn't quite realize, and it really set her off. I also, I made a little note in, in my story here that if I know what you did last summer were made in 2020, and it would be really boring. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, stayed, I know what you did last summer. I, Nothing. I scrolled Facebook for a year. <laughs> Not a damn thing is what I did last summer. <laughs> so she has described this, her second movie role and her first studio movie role, as being a sort of boot camp in physical comedy for her. She told The Guardian in 2009, quote, I think earnestness is the trick to those movies, or at least to playing my character. I auditioned about nine times, and it's still amazing to me that I got it because I hadn't done any comedy before. I thought I would be fired for sure because I was convinced they were going to figure out I'm just not funny. <laughs> I've got to say, it's still a little bit surprising to me that I'm in the comedy world. And it's really surprising to my family because I don't think anybody thought I was funny growing up. I was a very serious child. That's funny. You certainly wouldn't know it. Anna has gone on to be especially known as a comic actress who's willing to go with a role to its fullest conclusion and has drawn comparisons to Lucille Ball. And Goldie Hawn, which is quite a thing. Yeah. On a personal level, while she was working on her film debut in a 1999 indie slasher flick, still just acting for some extra pocket money and because she enjoyed it, she met and fell in love with a fellow actor. He appears to not be a public person these days. So I'll just note that Anna Faris had a first marriage that lasted from June 04 to April 07 when she filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. It may be significant to note that by this point, she had starred in four scary movie films. Wow. Acted opposite Luke Wilson in My Super Ex-Girlfriend. Acted opposite Ryan Reynolds in Just Friends. Played Monica and Chandler's baby mama in the final season of Friends. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh Uh-huh. And had just debuted a stoner comedy called Smiley Face at Sundance earlier that year. Anna herself has said that her success, while hubby's career stalled, was the problem. She told Marie Claire in 2011, That kind of destroyed my marriage. The divide Mm. became too great. Yikes. 
So she paid a $900,000 settlement, and once the divorce was done, treated herself to a boob job. <laughs> she said she felt like she was being a bad feminist about it, but also she really wanted to fill out a bikini for once in her life. So. Good on her. There you go. So here's where we will park on a Ferris at the Trashy Divorces Depot and move over to meet her most recent ex, Christopher Michael Pratt. Chris Pratt joined Team Humans on June 21st, 1979. Okay. Putting him smack dab in the middle of the Gemini Cancer Cusp, a.k.a. Oh, the Cusp of Magic. The Cusp of Magic. As you know, I don't typically put much stock in all of that, but in this case, it does kind of fit. In his early years, his family lived in Minnesota. When he was seven, they relocated to Washington State, a little bit outside of Everett. So he was not that far from where Anna was growing up in a, a different suburb of Seattle. Huh. It seems like Chris had a pretty normal childhood, and while he was a decent wrestler in high school, he was pretty aimless as it went. He told Entertainment Weekly in 2015, quote, My high school wrestling coach reminds me about this time I came into his office, and he said, Chris, what do you want to do with yourself? I was like, I don't know, but I know I'll be famous, and I know I'll make a shit ton of money. I had no idea how. I'd done nothing proactive. It was as dumb as someone saying, I'll probably be an astronaut. I'm sure I'll stumble into an astronaut suit one day and end up in space. <laughs> I mean, you gotta although, believe your own hype. Although that is precisely what happened. If you don't believe your own hype, nobody's gonna. Okay, you're gonna freaking love this. Aimless Chris got himself into community college but dropped out in the middle of the first semester. Oh, baby. Because a buddy of his had moved to Hawaii, and the allure of living in a van in Maui with his buddy was That's irresistible. That's way more fun. They would camp on the beach, they'd fish, they'd drink, they'd get high, and they would work just enough to keep themselves stocked with booze, weed, and bait. Fantastic. What a it, life. It was as a waiter at the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company in oh Maui that gregarious young Chris, age 19, created a break for himself. Actress Ray Don Chong, daughter of Tommy, and an extremely familiar face to 80s and 90s kids. I yeah. remember when I was like, I know that. And I looked her up and, mm-hmm. Anyway, she came into Bubba Gump one day and was seated in Chris's section. So he, you know. I was like, you're in the movies, right? I always wanted to be in the movies, he recalls. She said, you're cute. Do you act? I was like, fuck it. Goddamn right I act. Oh Put my God, no. Believe your own hype. So she did. That's a hype machine right she there. She totally did. She was working on her directorial debut. It was a comedy horror film that was never actually released. It was called Cursed Part 3. Oh, my. She's quoted in that Entertainment Weekly piece saying, He was a joy on set. My movie sucked, but he was awesome. Aww. <laughs> so Hollywood is a weird place. So even though Chris's big film debut didn't go anywhere, he started landing TV parts right away. He spent four years on a show called Everwood on the WB, a season on Fox's The O.C., then film roles started opening up for him. He auditioned for James Kirk in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot, as well as the lead in James Cameron's Avatar, and says that the Avatar experience was particularly difficult for him, but also helped him sort of set a quasi-realistic goal as, as being like a nobody actor goes, I guess. So here's what he says about that. They had said they wanted somebody that has that thing, that it factor, he explains, I walked into that room knowing I did not have that thing, and I walked out thinking I would never have that thing, probably. So he recalibrated his career ambitions. He says, I figured I'll find a way to make money, and if that means I'm playing character roles, that's terrific. People have to work. I just don't want it to be at a fucking restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> props, Chris. Props. One role that he did win was in a rom-com called Take Me Home Tonight in 2007, starring... None other 
than Anna Ferris. Oh my. She was not yet divorced, but as the pair got to know each other, she told Entertainment Weekly, his intelligence hits you by surprise. It's easy to lump him into big dude who likes trucks. As you get to know him, he's a really interesting, complicated person. You got to groove me, baby. Big dude who likes trucks. I mean, that's quite a description. Which I think is also true of Chris Pratt while we're like, that also is a descriptor. Okay. Chris learned that her marriage had been on the rocks for a while. Apparently both are pretty impulsive when it comes to romance. And as her crush on Chris developed, she called her husband from work, told him she wanted a divorce, hung up, and then announced to cast and crew alike that she had just left her husband. Oh my. Yeah. And again, apparently this probably was not news to her soon to be ex-husband at this sure. point in the story. Okay. It was just the it was the impulse. It was the push over the line. Yes. Okay. By the end of two thousand and eight, Chris and Anna were engaged and they married on July 9th, two thousand and nine in Bali. It was actually an elopement. They were there for someone else's wedding and decided it felt like the right time and place. Oh good on so them, my guess for impulsive young love. Yeah. The wedding happened shortly after Chris had landed what would become his breakout role, playing lovable doofus Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec. The show's creators had envisioned the Andy character as a temporary guest role, but a great personality will take you far in life, and they liked Chris so much that they expanded the role and made him permanent. Oh, wow. So again, I mean, he's apparently just a very likable person in real life, and it really does open doors. (laughs) Really does open doors for you. All right. Comparing the list of, and like, to be clear, in a relationship, don't compare. But I think that's kind of the crux of what happened here. So if you compare the list of the television. I mean, if you're both in the game, right? That's the thing. I mean. If you're playing the same game, you're going to probably yeah, compare. If you're professionally competitive with your spouse, uh, the opportunity for that to go wrong is is big. So if we look at kind of what they were doing. In these years, um, in 2009, Anna was in several things you've heard of. Well, Chris had some smaller parts in film, for sure. By 2011, Chris was landing roles with considerably more heft and showing Hollywood he was serious about it by dropping 40 pounds of Andy Dwyer weight to play a baseball player in Moneyball. Ah. Um, apparently, Anna is a great cook. <laughs> oh, Lord. So their son, Jack, was born in August 2012, you know, which means that she wasn't working as intensely as she might otherwise have been in 2012. While she was in three films in 2013 and began her long-running role as Christy Plunkett on CBS's Mom, Chris was gearing up for a major life change. On February 1st, 2014, the Lego movie, with Chris at top billing, was released, pulling a global box office of $468.1 million. Wow. In August of 2014, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy landed, again, with Chris at the helm, Box office, $772.8 million. Holy cats. Anna had a small, uncredited role in a film called 22 Jump Street that year. Guardians was a long shoot, too, as was Jurassic World, which he starred in the the next year in 2015. Box office for that, $1.67 billion. Holy cats. So he was gone for long stretches. You know, Anna's at home caring for baby Jack. And Chris says, from his seventh month to his 13th month, I saw him twice. Oh, that's terrible. It's tough. Anna told me his first sentence was, Dada's working. He goes on to say, I wonder how old he's going to be when his sentence is, Dada needs to get a job. Aww. <laughs> Still, you know, they were being celebrated as couples goals. Like, they're, they were just super cute together. 
they were really supportive of each other in the press. Like they, they just, they, they had that thing that you want to have. Really wanted to root for those kids. Both of them come off as a lot more normal, or at least they did. I don't, I don't know. Now he lives in a $15 million house and he's married to a Schwarzenegger. So you tell me. <laughs> a little less normal now. A little less normal now. Also, he, you know, he stars alongside a raccoon, which is sort of our thing here at Trashy Divorces. <laughs> <laughs> on an appearance on Chelsea Lately, Chelsea Handler asked the slimmed down Chris which body Anna preferred him in, fit and buff, or as she put it, a little sloppy. He said, I think she likes me sloppy. She likes me a little fatter. Another time he joked that, quote, Anna's favorite thing to do is fatten me up. It's like I'm little Hansel and Gretel out in the woods. I swear she's going to push me in an oven one day. Oh, no. I have to say, though, I think one thing that people probably really related to them as a couple was, like, he was going through these various body sizes for different roles, and that was fine. You know, it wasn't like, she's not going on TV when he's heavier, going like, well, he was cute, and then... Right. You know, like, it just... They just sort of seem like normal people who kind of fluctuate on weight and stuff, right? Like, anyway. There were rumors, once once the fame cannon exploded, oh, no. um, there were rumors that Chris had cheated, and Anna has since talked on her podcast, Unqualified, about a time when she woke up a partner in the middle of the night to ask if he was sleeping with so-and-so, although she did not name the partner. She's also talked about how insecure those rumors made her. Which makes sense. He, he's had some very attractive co-stars. Apparently, that that was a struggle for her. In any a, case, a struggle for every Hollywood wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. And husbands. And if, husbands. If the yeah. wives. Yeah. Certainly, the level of fame that Chris hit in 2014 is just different level. I mean, if a 1.6 billion dollar movie, this is not a person whose time is his own. And like, this is just. I it it's it's boggling to consider what your life must be like at that point. Like studios own you, and just everything you do is very scripted and controlled. It appears that the two track career trajectories of the couple began to erode the relationship, just as it had in her first marriage. Mm. Although it was a mirror image, whatever was going on underneath the surface on August 7, twenty seventeen, Chris and Anna both posted a message to social that said. We are sad to announce we are legally separating. We tried hard for a long time and we're really disappointed. Our son has two parents who love him very much. And for his sake, we want to keep the situation as private as possible moving forward. We still have love for each other. We'll always cherish our time together and continue to have the deepest respect for one another. Good statement. Well done. Good statement. I mean, but, you know, that's the statement that every couple puts out when they split up. The proof is in the pudding. And it turns out, like, the proof really was in the pudding. Like, it was a good statement, and they meant it. The divorce was incredibly not trashy. They negotiated terms with a private judge, and all reports are that they've remained friendly throughout, which is not a small thing at all. The final settlement really did seem to be geared with Jack's best interests in mind. So they both agreed that until Jack graduates from sixth grade, they will live within five miles of each other. They currently live two miles apart. Oh, that's great. And that if one parent wishes to travel out of the country with Jack, they must give the other 30 days notice. To take Jack out of state, each agreed to give reasonable, you know, quote, reasonable notice to the other, which pretty clearly indicates that they both trust each other to be reasonable. Like, this is not the case in all. It, we've seen a lot of divorces that have not played out that way. Yes. yes. Or when you put a condition like that in, 
like they both start to like well i thought 12 hours was reasonable you know right. like anyway after the divorce chris told an interviewer divorce sucks but at the end of the day we've got a great kid who's got two parents who love him very much and we're finding a way to navigate this while still remaining friends and still being kind Anna says that co-parenting with Chris, who again married author Katherine Schwarzenegger in 2019, is all about Jack. I think it's just the general idea of just making sure that he's surrounded by a lot of love and happiness, and we're really good at that. And we have amazing friends and an incredible family. And we have like just the most amazing resources to make sure that he feels safe and protected and happy. And so far he is. Anna has also moved on romantically and is engaged to cinematographer Michael Barrett, with whom she worked on 2018's Overboard. And I would say that a uh, cinematographer is a great choice versus another actor, because yeah. he can become a super successful cinematographer, lauded by the industry, and it'll never... It can contribute to each other's joy. Yeah, it's yeah. never gonna, like, eclipse her light, you know? And I'm not saying, like, I'm not presenting the jealousy in this as any sort of, this is just a very understandable dynamic. Oh, for this sure. Is, I'm not saying these are bad people. As far as I can tell, I Googled, is Chris Pratt an asshole? Because I figured <laughs> there's got to be people who think, and there are What people. did the internet say? The internet had thoughts. <laughs> Seems to be a minority opinion, though. Like, most people are like, no, he's a really likable guy. I mean, there's a lot of fame went to his head. But again, he's he's so bankable that, like, until he's old and ugly or something he's just not gonna be his life won't be his own yeah okay she left the cast of mom in late 2020 reportedly to pursue other projects and i will note that years ago in that marie claire interview she talked about her highest goals in hollywood she wants to become a producer and have a judd apatow style stable of like powerful talented women to cast in great roles good on her and anna i hope your dream comes true there because that's what the world needs. So for all of this, I think there's basically a Marvel Cinematic Universe worth of halos sure. to be had. I will note that is Chris Pratt and asshole Googling did bring up <laughs> oh, some stuff. No. I'd, I'd actually heard about this and forgotten. Anna and Chris both have some sketchy history with pets. Oh, no. Chris took to Twitter to rehome his 15-year-old cat in 2011. And then got super mad that people were super mad about that. You don't um, rehome a 15-year-old cat. You don't. They were trying to have a baby, right? They were trying to get pregnant. And I guess the 15-year-old cat was having some control issues around litter boxes. And the cat is 15. I know. The, I know. This is where I am with that. I am team internet on this. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Chris put this like really snarky post like, hey, weirdos. We can't have cat poop everywhere when we're trying to have a baby. Toxoplasmosis. Like, anyway. Meanwhile, in 2012, Anna adopted a chihuahua named Pete. And at some point, decided that Pete needed a different home. Oh, no. It's not clear whether the new owners dumped Pete or if Pete ran away from the new owners, but Pete was eventually found wandering the mean streets of LA and suffering malnourishment. <gasps> when a vet ran his chip, Anna's name came up. And the shelter that Anna had rescued Pete from was very bigly, madly Oh, I bet they mad. were mad. So as with most rescue agreements, the idea was that if Anna could not care for Pete... You return the... You take Pete, Pete back to, to the, the shelter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they were they were talking lawsuit. They were talking like $5,000 fine. They were like... Anyway, some people do not deserve pets. Some people are better with people than they are with animals. Yeah, it's it's ironic... 
given that Chris Pratt's most notable co-star is a talking raccoon. Kind of our thing there, Chris. Kind of our thing. Um, so anyway, that's that's the not trashy marriage and divorce of Chris Pratt and Anna Ferris. Well, that is a great way to take us out for the end of season nine. Oh, yeah. Can you believe it? Oh, end of God. season nine. We're going to be off next week. Trash candy friends. Right, and we made this one a baker's dozen. We're going to be back April 11th, Sunday, April 11th, with fresh new trash candy for you. We're going to be on Patreon in the meantime. We're wrapping up our March Tuesday series of heiresses. We're going to be talking about the trashy asters this week. We covered Princess Diana's great-great-grandmother this past week. We've had a lot of fun with heiresses, but you're going to kick off April next week with a whole new series on Tuesday. Yeah, it's sort of a continuation of the loose women stories, um, but I've I've been branching out to non... I'm ending the U.S. European hegemony, and we're looking at, like, awesome... International loose women. Yes, awesome women who found their own liberation in times and places that you would not expect. I can't wait for that. I love these. I love these. Like women have always been busting out of what society told them to do. And we need to celebrate that. Agreed. If you miss us next week, head on over to patreon.com slash trashy divorces for hell, probably almost 600 episodes. Probably. Yeah. Over there of all kinds of stuff. Good Lord. Everything. Can you believe it? That wraps us up for season nine. Holy cats. Time flies. We'll see you back April 18th nope. and then April 11th. <laughs> just making sure you're paying attention. June 95th. <laughs> see you there. I know what you did last summer. Not <laughs> learn how to read a calendar. Nothing. You did nothing <laughs> last summer. Until we see you again Sunday, April 11th. Probably. Keep your hands entirely clean. Wear masks. For the time being, but... Get those vaccination shots. We're coming to the end. It's so good. It's so good. And keep your hearts trashy until we talk to you again. Bye. Bye, y'all. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all. <laughs>